We're in Exodus chapter 20, and we've found ourselves at the third commandment this morning. But before we read the third commandment, I think it's important that we take a moment to read the prologue to the Ten Commandments in verses 1 and 2 of Exodus 20, because it's important for us to always remember that underlying the law is a foundation of grace. The, the law is given to us in a context of having already received the saving grace of God, have already been taken out of bondage and brought on the pathway into the promised land. So we need to remember that the fact that we don't love him in order to earn his love, we love him because he's already given us his love. And that's the context in which the law is given to us now. So let's take a moment now to read God's word beginning in Exodus 20 verse 1. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And now skip down to verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Amen. This is God's word to us this morning. Well, I want you to imagine with me, if you will, for a moment, that you are in a distant, far-off, developing country. You're in a third-world country, and you've been there maybe for about a month now. You're there perhaps on a mission trip with First Pres, or, or something about your business or your life somehow took you to this country. And over the course of the past month, you've been eating food that's not particularly palatable to you. It's a completely different diet. But you happen to find yourself traveling down a busy road in a city in this country, And out of the corner of the eye, you see nothing other than the golden arches. You see a McDonald's, and it brings a smile to your face. It's not necessarily your favorite restaurant in the world. It's not a place that you may may be craving back in America. But in this particular case, it's making your mouth water. And so you go inside of this Mickey D's, and you find when you look up on the menu that they have the same exact items on the menu there that you would find at a McDonald's back here in Biloxi. And so you order your Big Mac combo, a Big Mac, and you order your fries, and you order your drink, and it tastes exactly the same as it does in the McDonald's back in America. It's made you glad. There's something about that McDonald's, those golden arches that communicate something to you, don't they? It's familiar. You know what you're going to get. You know that when you go inside this McDonald's and you order your food, it's going to taste the same no matter where you you eat it. See, one of the things that stands out about a place like McDonald's or any other name brand company, for instance, is that they very often use name brand personalities to promote whatever it is that they're trying to sell you. The, the, The reputation of the company and the reputation of the person making the endorsement of that company become intimately intertwined with one another. They become almost one and the same. So if proactive is not taking away Justin Bieber's little pimples, then it's going to bode negatively on Justin Bieber. He's put his whole life into this. He has said that this product actually works, and if it doesn't work... His own reputation is at stake. And then you think of someone like Tiger Woods, right? Tiger Woods had heaps of endorsements. But then when that whole scandal about his life broke out about a year or so ago, many of the companies who used him to endorse their product did away with him as an endorser. 
because they feared that the reputation of Tiger Woods was going to negatively rub off upon their product. So what's the point? Why am I even mentioning all this? The point is that a name, whether it be the name of a company or a product or your own personal name, is something that carries with it something of tremendous value to you, doesn't it? It carries a reputation. It carries an identity. And because that's the case, it's something that you cling on to. It's something that you very highly value. It's one of the things that distinguishes you from somebody else. It distinguishes you from other people. When you hear my name and I hear your name, there are certain assumptions and certain beliefs that we have about each other. We have those assumptions and beliefs. And one thing that we can all agree on is that we want our name protected. We want our name protected. We want our reputation protected. We do not want people to go around town broadcasting slanderous things about our name. We care about being treated in a respectful and honest and true way. We want our name protected in that way. And to be perfectly honest with you, my friends, that is what the third commandment is all about. The third commandment is all about this. The third commandment is calling us to do what our call to worship this morning called us to do, which was to ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. The third commandment is about respecting and honoring and revering God in every aspect of our lives, in what we say, in what we think, and in what we do. So here's the deal. All of us, And this is true whether you're a person who claims to follow Jesus Christ or not. All of us, to one degree or another, have the name of God impressed upon our lives. Because we're all created in the image of God, which means that we image Him to the world. We reflect Him to the world. There's something about who God is that is to be flowing out of our lives. And so we reflect Him in such a way. But this is especially true, especially true, for people who claim to follow him, for people who have been baptized. Because when you were baptized, in what were you baptized into? You were baptized into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. He's given you a new name. And when you profess to follow him, you profess to be united into him. You profess that he is your Father. And your Father has given you a name. And that means that you now are no longer defined by your own self-interests. You're no longer defined by yourself apart from God. You're defined by yourself intertwined with God. He's given you His name. He's given you a whole brand new identity. You bear His name wherever you go. And because that's the case, however you live your life in the context of the world says something about the one who defines you, about the one who identifies you. You know, one of the things that I discovered when I first moved to Mississippi in 2002 when I was coming to seminary is that a lot of people in Mississippi, and it's true I think all over the South, a lot of people like to give their children family names. It's much more common around here than it is in at least the part of the country that I'm from, but they love to give their children family names. And it's something bigger than just merely a, a family tradition. That people just do it because it's just what's done in the culture. They do it because there's something about the family member that they're naming their child after that they want to live on in their child long after that name for family member has passed away. It's like they're continuing on a legacy. They're hoping that their child will live up to the character or the traits of the person for whom they were named. 
And so for the Christian, it's not any different, is it? For the Christian, it's the same thing. The gospel is really so much about Jesus coming and making us his. It's about giving us his identity and about giving us his inheritance and his promises. That's what the gospel does. And so you, he's, been, he's given you his name. You, you're a Christian now. You're someone who no longer belongs to yourself. You belong to him. And what you say and what you do, your whole life reflects upon him. It shows what is the source of your identity. So think about that in terms of the words that you use. Think about that in terms of what you say. Because words matter, don't they? There was a person somewhere in the course of human history that said, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. What a total doofus that person was. It's completely and totally untrue because we know that words carry tremendous power. They carry tremendous weight. And so it's saying something about the way in which we carry around the name of God. Obviously, it's saying that we're to use the actual name of God in ways that show reverence and honor and respect. So when we use the name of God to express anger, to express disappointment, to express surprise, we're expressing that actually towards God himself. We're expressing an attitude within our hearts that expresses resentment toward God. We're saying that either God is not good or that God is not in control. That's what we're saying, whether we realize it or not. And so when we're saying those things, those are massive, massive perversions of who God actually is. They pervert who God actually is. And so we need to remember that the way in which we use the name of God is exceptionally important because we would not want anybody to use our name in a slanderous way. We wouldn't want anybody to take our name in vain and to use it in such a way and to slander our character. So why would we expect that God would be any different? He calls us to hallow his name, to treat his name with honor and respect. But here's the deal. The Ten Commandments, all of them, this one included, are not so much just about external behavior. They're more about the heart. They're more about what's going on at the heart level, the stuff that's driving that behavior. So if you reduce the command here of the third commandment, not to take the Lord's name in vain, if you reduce that simply to saying you shouldn't cuss, you, you shouldn't just use the name of God or the name of Jesus in, in, as some kind of impassioned expression, then you're kind of going to miss the whole point. Because most of us have been raised from birth not to do that. It's probably not your biggest struggle in life that you actually use the name of God or the name of Jesus in some kind of vain, irreverent way. But what is a major issue in our lives, in your life and in my life, is speaking and living in ways that misrepresent who God is and what he's actually like. We, We misrepresent him, and no one gets a free pass on that. Not one person, not you or me or anybody else. That's part and parcel of our lives in so many ways. Let me just share a few ways in which I see this happening. One of the ways in which we do it is by speaking in ways to other people that are just flat out irreverent and disrespectful and fundamentally destructive. We, we speak hurtful words. 
It happens in marriages all the time. Sometimes the way in which we speak to our husbands and wives are ways that are far worse than people who claim no interest in Jesus at all. And we speak that way to our spouses. We speak that way to our kids and to our parents and to others in our midst. Those of you who are youth, I think, need to especially consider this because it's a special issue when you are in junior high or high school. It's an issue that, per- that pervades your whole life all the way through, but it's a special issue there because some of the things you say to each other and about each other are just downright ugly and nasty. They're completely unbecoming of someone who claims the name of Jesus Christ upon them. It's something that you would never, ever, ever want said about you. And you're saying it about a person who is created in the very image of God. It's something that God never says about those people. And yet you're saying it. It's an expression, actually, of your own insecurity. It's an expression of the fact that this person has so much power over you that you have to go out and broadcast their vices to everybody else. It's ungodly. That person that you're putting down is made in the very image of God and you're taking the Lord's name in vain when you do so. Another way we take his name in vain is by taking his words and twisting them and manipulating them to fit our own agenda rather than changing our agenda to fit his word. That's one of the ways we take his name in vain. We baptize our agenda with God's words. You can understand this. Ladies, if your kid comes to you and says that dad said that I could stay out until 1 a.m. And then you go and you talk to your husband. And you say, did you really say that our kid could stay out until 1 a.m.? And he says no. Then that dad is going to be pretty ticked off. He's going to be angry because his character has been misrepresented. His kid used his words and manipulated it to fit his own agenda, that kid's own agenda. He's attached something to his father's words that his father never said. And friends, that's why legalism is such a gross, gross thing in the life of a Christian. Something that should just never be part of our lives. Where we add rules to the Bible that don't exist. Or, and we make other people and, our, and ourselves follow rules that, that don't exist. We measure our life by those things. So when you say things like, God commands the Christian to completely abstain from alcohol, Or you say things like, the wife has to do all the cooking and cleaning. Or you say something like, we should only sing songs out of the hymnal in the church. When you do that, you are putting words into God's mouth. You're taking the Lord's name in vain. He never said that. You're binding people's conscience to things that God does not bind our, our consciences to. God has never said that. And it's just as wrong as saying, Cheating is okay just as long as I don't get caught. That's putting something into God's mouth that he never said. It's dishonoring what he said and it's taking his name in vain. Along the same lines, think about this. How about the whole God told me to do such and such phenomenon? God told me blank. God told me that I should just take a break from church for a while. God told me that it's okay to lie about that thing because... By telling the truth, it would create a bigger mess than the one that already exists. God told me it's okay to fool around with my boyfriend or girlfriend. Friends, you're using God to affirm what you've already decided that you were going to do. 
It's taking the Lord's name in vain. It's manipulative and it's irreverent. What about this one? What about the ways in which you make decisions, when you make big decisions, with big things that you're going to buy, big moves in your life? What do those things say about how you actually understand God, the decisions that you make? Do you tend to make decisions, big decisions, rather quickly? Do you do so without a lot of thought as to how it's going to affect your community, your family, your church, your relationships, even your own spiritual life? Are you a teachable person? If three or four or five people tell you that the decision that you're about to make is a really bad idea, and you still go along with that anyway, is that ordinarily a wise thing to do? See, it's a way in which we take the Lord's name in vain. We're saying that God told me to do this. Even though that's not necessarily the case. You're taking his, his name in vain by seeking to endorse your own agenda with something that God never said. Here's another one. What about the contracts that you make? The agreements that you make with other people? Whether they're business agreements or just, whether, just as if they're, they're verbal agreements. Something that you say that you'll do and, and the person's depending upon you to fulfill your word. Are you a person who lets your yes be yes and your no be no? Do you fulfill your end of the agreement? Whether that's a business contract or simply coming home from work at the time that you said that you would be home. If you're not doing that, then you're lacking integrity. The, the name of Christ has been placed upon you, my friends. And Christ always fulfills His word. And so when you don't fulfill your word, you're not only hurting the other person and doing damage to your own good name, but you're not glorifying God. You're living in a way that's inconsistent with the name that he has placed upon you. Here's the final one I want you to consider. What about your work? The tasks that you have to do in the day-to-day life as you go about just kind of living life throughout the course of the week. What about how you do school and work? A few weeks ago, I guess it was a couple months ago now, we were driving home from Jackson from the Mid-South Men's Rally. And I was driving the church van, and Blake and Ben Bowden were in a vehicle behind us. And I was just driving down Highway 49, and we got back into the parking lot, and Blake looks over at me and he says, Man, you drive fast. And I wasn't even thinking about it. I was just sitting there driving the van down Highway 49, Scott McDowell sitting next to me with Time's just flying by, obviously. And I'm driving in this van that's, that's got First Presbyterian Church of Biloxi all over the side of it. And apparently I'm breaking the speed limit. That's why I hate driving the church van. I'm afraid I'm going to do something stupid and malign the whole church. I just don't ever drive it because of that. But it's not just about how the reputation of our workplace looks, but it's about how we actually do our work that not only affects the reputation of the workplace and our own reputation, but it affects how God is viewed, how God actually is understood. If in our work, we do our work very flippantly, very casually, we don't do our work with excellence and integrity, then that's one of the ways in which we take the Lord's name in vain. You're owning Christ's name, but you're doing your work or you're doing school as if you didn't know him at all. It's a poor witness to the church and it's a poor witness to the world, but it's also dishonoring towards God. Mahatma Gandhi. There's a name you don't hear in a sermon every day. 
Gandhi once said, I like your Christ. I don't like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Those are sobering words. When our lives are unlike Christ, we dishonor His name. We may bear the name of Christian. We may claim that name, but we find ourselves to be so unlike Christ. And with that kind of hypocrisy going on in our lives, we're taking His name in vain. And we see here in this verse that He will not hold guiltless those who take His name in vain. And I should just tell you, this isn't just some kind of Old Testament angry God syndrome thing going on. This is something that Jesus seems to bring to the forefront to us when we look in the Gospel of Matthew. In Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 22, he says this. Jesus says, Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That's what Jesus says to people who were doctrinally correct. They were theologically orthodox. They used the name Adonai to refer to the Lord. That was what you would call someone who you understood to be God. This is what Jesus says, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. He says this to people who appeared to have a deep devotion to him. They said, Lord, Lord. I mean, it was an emotional response. There's an apparent deep heart that went along with their worship. And he says, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness, to people who were religiously active. They were casting out demons in his name. They were doing a whole lot of stuff for him. They were involved in all of the church activities. He says, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You know why? Because they were hypocrites. They were hypocrites at the very, very core of their being. The word hypocrite, it comes from a Greek word, hypocrisis, which means actor. It means they're just playing the act. Christianity is just a game for them. It's really good fire insurance. Christianity is not much more than that. They take refuge in their theological orthodoxy. They take refuge in the denomination that they belong to or the church that they belong to or the stuff that they do in the church, but their lives are completely inconsistent with any kind of profession that claims to follow after Christ. That ought to be sobering to you. It is to me. If, if If you're not at least a little bit uncomfortable with this, then you're probably not paying attention. Because it's a serious, serious command. And all of us are guilty of it to one degree or another. This is something that's part of our lives. We undercut and disrespect the name of God and we so often live life with complete disregard for Him. Disregard. That's an important word when you think of the third commandment because the opposite of love is not so much hate. The opposite of love is really indifference. It's, it's pretending as if that person didn't exist. It's paying that person no attention. I'm sure you've probably received something in the mail or you've received a phone call soliciting something from you and the piece of mail had your name misspelled on it. Have you ever had that? You, you get something in the, in the mail and your name is completely misspelled. If I get something in the mail and they spell my name wrong, it goes right in the trash. 
I mean, I figure if, if it wasn't important enough for them to get my name right, then it must not be a very important piece of mail. But if someone calls me on the phone and says, may I please speak to Mr. Doreen Stahn? I'm hanging up. That's just not an important phone call. They don't know me well enough to say my name correctly, or they don't care enough to say my name correctly. So why is this an important phone call? Why is this something worth spending my time listening to what it is that they have to sell me? It's not important. And see, when we, when we really don't know God, when we haven't come to grips with his weightiness and his glory and his holiness, and when we just give little thought to him, then it's no wonder that we would live in light of him with the same degree of carelessness that the phone solicitor has by mispronouncing my name. We just live with that kind of carelessness. We don't really know his name. We live as if he's not particularly important, even though we want to have the name Christian placed upon our life. And so at the end of the day, the third commandment tells you, and it tells me, that every act of disobedience is a violation of it. Every act of hate toward God, where we do something that actively rebels against Him, where we, we know the will of God and we just choose consciously to do something in disobedience to it, that's a violation of the third commandment. It's taking His name in vain. And whenever we just have a passive indifference to Him, when we unthinkingly and carelessly live our lives, when we fail to integrate the Lordship of, of Christ into our life, we're also taking His name in vain. Because we bear His name and we're living in a way that's inconsistent with that name. So if the first commandment is really about the object of our worship, that we're to worship God alone and have nothing other that comes before him, no one or nothing coming before him, if it's about the object of our worship, and the second commandment is really about the way in which we worship, that we worship God according to the way in which he reveals himself to be, rather than as we imagine him to be, the third commandment is really about the attitude of our worship. It's about our heart. It, it has to do with worshiping God with a heart that loves Him, that loves His wisdom and being and power, that loves His holiness and His justice and His goodness and His truth. So positively what the third commandment calls you and I to do is to respect Him, to honor Him, to give the glory due His name. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's what it's calling us to do. We carry around his reputation. And so we live as if that reputation meant something. That's what we're positively called to do. And negatively, we're called to avoid things that would malign his name. We're called to avoid hypocrisy, avoid a life that's inconsistent with our profession. But that's, that's tough. How is it that we do that? I think the only way that we do that, my friends, is by coming to see that Jesus truly is the name that's above all names. Do you know why Jesus is the name that's above all names? He's the name that's above all names because he's the only person who wasn't a hypocrite. He's the only person that ever lived that was, a hip, that was not a hypocrite. There was no incongruity between the God that he claimed to follow after and the life that he led. When he said yes, it was yes. When he said no, it was no. He kept his word. He did what he said he was going to do. He, he said that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He said that he has come to seek and to save the lost. And you know what? That's exactly what he did. He kept his word. And so when you consider the cross, 
you can see that he kept his word. When you consider the cross, you see that it was my sin. It was my violation of the third commandment. It was my indifference. It was my hypocrisy. It was my irreverence towards him. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. That's what you see when you see the cross. That's the reality of our lives. That's the fuel of our lives. And so when we trust in Him, our violation of the third commandment is placed upon Him and it costs Him His life. And His keeping of the third commandment is placed upon us. And it gives us new life. That's why Jesus is the name above all names. He kept His word. Jesus is the name above all names because he was never indifferent to his Father. He, he never disregarded his will. His thoughts and his words and his actions were so completely consistent with the will of his Father that he could safely say that whoever has seen me has seen the Father. He could say, I and the Father are one. His life matched up with the Father. His life was all about being single-minded in bringing his Father glory. He had such a grand personal, intimate knowledge of his heavenly Father that everything he did was for the sake of glorifying him. No one else has ever done that. No one else has ever done that with perfection other than Jesus. And that is why he is the name above all names. But he's also the name above all names because there's no name under heaven other than the name of Jesus whereby we must be saved. In Christ alone my hope is found. Jesus came to save his people, people who were constant lawbreakers. He came to save people who invented new ways of breaking the third commandment all the time. And that work was costly. It was sacrificial. But his sacrifice showed that not only was he supremely faithful to his Father's will, not only was he completely consistent with the will of his Father, but he was also supremely interested in us. He was interested in his Father's will, and in doing so, he was supremely interested in us. See, the best news that you could ever hear is that Jesus is not just like you. Jesus is not just like you. He's not just like me. Because he was never indifferent to his Father. He never showed him disrespect, and he never committed a single act of hypocrisy. And in being completely checked into his father, it meant that he was completely checked into you. Do you believe that, my friends? Is that something other than just a theological proposition that you give some intellectual assent to? Is that something that actually fuels your life? That you actually matter to him? Would you see that you actually matter to him to the point of giving up his own life for you? And that moves from just being data on a page, then he's going to begin to matter to you as well. He will become in your life the name that is above all names. What great news that is. What a great promise it is that he's given to us. Let's come to him now, the name above all names in prayer.
O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name in all the earth. We long to see Your glory in our lives as individuals and as a church. We want people to see us as people who live consistently with Your name, but we want them to see that because You are amazingly glorious. You are worthy of all of our life. Not a flippant, passive, half-hearted life towards You, but a fully devoted life that lives focused upon Your holiness and focused upon the grace that You have poured out to us in the Gospel. Lord, drive our lives towards You that we might live a life pleasing to Your name, consistent with Your name. Do this for Your glory, for our good, and for the sake of those who have yet to come to know You. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.